Well, good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? If we can just stand really quick as we read uh, from Romans chapter 7, verse 21, uh, 25 this morning. And it reads, so I discovered this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. Uh, for in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in my parts of my body. Waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin and the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Father, we thank you uh, for your word this morning. Father, we thank you that sometimes words just pierces. Um, sometimes the word is irrelevant, encouraging, hard, convicting, but whatever it is to whoever is listening, God, we thank you for it. For whatever it says, God, it is truly meant for the sake of your children living and not dying. Uh, it is truly meant for the sake of us transforming and being conformed into the image of your son. And so, Father, I pray that we would receive this word this morning, that we would feast on your word this morning with a heart and a belly to be full and to change and to be convicted and to grow and to become more like you. And so, Father, as I decrease, Lord, would you increase uh, as we share this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to be finishing up Romans chapter 7 today, um, and uh, then we'll obviously be going to Romans chapter 8, but um, we'll be finishing up Romans chapter 7 today, and, and one of the things as we were, have we been walking through Romans chapter 7, and one of the things as I, as I have been uh, studying through Romans chapter 7 is the reality is if you was to read Romans chapter 7 in isolation, it's a very hopeless chapter. It is a chapter that just seems like, why then? <laughs> the law just reveals sin. The, the, me trying to obey the law just kills me. No matter what I do, the flesh is still there and sin is attached to, to me, causing me to do stuff I don't want to do. And, but the preacher keeps telling me that I'm supposed to change. I'm supposed to be sanctified. I'm supposed to be transformed. I'm supposed to conform to the image of Christ. But then Romans chapter 7 said, keep trying. <laughs> I got you. You're going to keep on falling, brother. And you read that and you're just like, what in the world? Does this, this is ridiculous. And we've been in that chapter. And one of the things that we have been seeing is this constant dilemma that Paul is telling us as believers we will experience. This is this dilemma that no matter what we try to do, the flesh is opposing the law of God. And so no matter how much I want to obey God, the flesh desperately doesn't want to. And I am living in a constant, eternal, I mean internal conflict with myself. And I always told you guys a long time ago that as being a believer means to live in constant internal conflict. It's to wake up in conflict with yourself. 
That's what it means to be a believer. That is one of the things you wake up desiring to obey God, and the flesh is like, absolutely not. And the whole day, you are constantly in conflict with yourself, in conflict to do what God says to do, in conflict not to do what God says you do. And it makes sense why sometimes we just get exhausted. It makes sense sometimes why we as believers grow weary. And as we are growing weary, the enemy begins to feed on our weariness to cause us to let down our guards, to let down our barriers and fall into this state of complacency. Right? I was talking to somebody just this morning and the words that was used was the trick of the enemy to convince us that this is just what life is. That whatever this thing is that I am struggling with, it's just who I'm going to be. And not only that it's going to be a temptation that I deal with, but it's going to be the, the thing that has victory over me. And no matter how hard I try, I'm just going to continue to find myself ruled by it. And that's what it feels like sometimes, if we're just being honest. Right, we can be super Christian today, or we can just be real real today. That's what it feels like. It feels like it don't matter. I'm never going to have victory over this thing because I truly have desired it. And yet here I am 10 years, five years. One of the things, uh, one of the people that I pointed to in this conversation was Reem. And I said, here's a guy. I'm not telling nothing he don't tell every Sunday when he preach anyway. <laughs> here's a guy who for over 10 years was ruled by pornography, 19 years, and who has then so far celebrated two years, two plus years now, of victory. And the reason I love looking at Kareem's journey is because sometimes you got people that got like these crazy transformation stories. And I'm honest with people. My journeys ain't been like most people. God said, stop smoking weed. I ain't smoked weed in 12 years. <laughs> like, it just, I ain't struggle with it. All of that stuff. Like, I had just that. But other individuals have a journey. And what I love about Reem and pointing people to Reem is because it shows that no matter how much or how long that thing may have had you, that if ever you get to a point of submitting and making up your mind and walking with God and allowing him to minister to you and help you and aid you. It don't matter if it's been 30 years, 20 years, all your life you've been fighting. If you learn to submit and surrender to the Lord, then that dilemma that has us feeling hopeless, and we can have victory and freedom over it. And that's why that's the title of this message. Be humble. Be humble. Because as we've been looking at Romans chapter 7, the reality is we've been looking at Romans chapter 7 and this whole series we've been in from Romans chapter 6 to Romans chapter 7 and then when we get to Romans chapter 8 has been a series about sanctification. It has been a series about how do I grow in the Lord? How do I walk with the Lord? And as we've been looking at the ways that we must walk with the Lord, we begin in Romans chapter 6, and it says, well, the first thing that we do in order to be transformed, in order to be sanctified, is that we must die with Christ. Right? And then when we die with Christ through the Spirit, we are resurrected with Christ. Thank you. And when we're resurrected with Christ, 
We're seated with Christ. And the Bible tells us that Christ is seated far above all of the authorities and powers and rulers. He is seated in a place of power. And that that thing that once ruled us is rendered powerless. It doesn't go anywhere, but it's rendered powerless, meaning no matter its presence in my life, it has no control over my life. And so then he says, but then you got to consider that. You got to make up your mind that I'm actually dead to that thing. You have to, you can't sit in this place of this is just who I am. Because as long as you stay in the place that this is just who I am, that's just who you're going to be. Right? But then you have to look that thing in the face and say, you, you got me, but nah, bruh, I am not this. You in my face and you tempted me, but nah, bruh, you ain't got me. And then he goes on and he says, the next thing is, then you got to not offer your body parts to unrighteousness. You set free, you can say no, so now don't let sin manifest itself in your flesh so that you are now offering the things of your body to sin. And then he goes into chapter 7 and start talking after he told us all of that. He goes into chapter 7 and hit us with all of this hopeless dilemmas. But you're going to keep trying and failing. <laughs> and, 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 and the thing that we talked about two weeks ago was the, the other step in sanctification is you got to know your villain. And Paul has spent this whole chapter trying to help people understand that the law has never been the problem. And so sometimes while we get mad at what God is saying, we get mad at God's law, and we don't want to read his word. We want to say it's progressive. We want to say it's oppressive. We want to do all, get mad at God. Paul is like, no, 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 the law has never been the villain. He says, no, it is sin using the law. It is sin working through the law. When God said don't do it, sin seen an opportunity to rebel against God. And so the law said what to do, and sin saw what not to do, and said that's what I'm going to tempt them to do. The law isn't bad. Sin is our villain. And so instead of turning away from God's word, thinking that we'll just stop reading his Bible, we'll just stop trusting. He says, no, 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 you need to address the real villain. And until you address the real villain in your life, you'll never see the victory that you desire to walk in because the thing that will give you victory, i.e. the word, sanctify them in your truth, Father. Your word is the truth. First Peter, right? You have been bought by an imperishable seed. That seed is talking about the word. That which you heard, the gospel of your salvation. That is the thing that is going to allow us to have a transformed life, the thing that is going to allow us to sink. But if I think it's the villain, then I don't even run to the thing that has the ability to give me authority and power over the villain. So the only other way that we can be sanctified in our journey with Christ is we got to know the villain. We got to name the villain. And then that leads us to the day. Because the last step-ish, it's always another step. Just keep reading. You'll be like, oh, that's another step. But the last step as of these studies <laughs> is you got to be humble. And when I talk about being humble, I'm talking about what James chapter 4, verse 6 through 7 says. It says, oh, put this point on the board just so they have it. To grow in the Lord and to walk in the victory that we desire over sin, we must learn to be humble. And look what James 4, 6 through 7 says. <laughs> he said, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee you. And in this passage, pay attention to what James says. He says he gives greater grace, right? And, and grace is just not simply that broad, unfooled definition of giving you what you don't deserve. 
No, 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 no. Titus 2 tells us something different about grace. Titus 2, 11 through 12 tells us this about grace, that when grace appeared, that means grace is not an idea. It's not an ideology. It's a person. When grace appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing, what does grace do? It instructs us to deny godliness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age. I want you to understand, keep that definition of grace. And James is saying he gives greater grace to those who are humble. Hold on, wait, 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 wait. If grace is instructing us in denying godliness, worldly lust, to live sensible, righteous in this God, he gives greater grace. He gives greater ability to say no to ungodliness. He gives greater righteousness, greater strength, greater instructions to those who are humble. But to the one who is proud, there is no instruction for them. There is no help for them. Because the proud don't seek help. And so grace teaches and aids us in obedience to God. And James is saying to get that aid, to get that help, we must get to a place in our life where we are humble enough to go to God and say, like Paul said, what a wretched man that I am. What a man to be most pity. What a man to be most miserable. I desire to live for you, but I find myself doing things that I have no desire to do. What in the world is wrong with me? Who is going to help me? Because I clearly can't help myself. So the reason that God gives grace to the humble is because there's room, there's margin for God to work when we're humble. When we and my wife first got married, that was a passage that was given to us in marriage counseling. And every time we argue not that way we should have been by being prideful and trying to win an argument, we just kept on arguing. But every time we said, you know what? You go to your corner, I'm going to go to my corner. We'll just see. And we pray and we come back. <laughs> by the time we come back to the table, God had already did it. Peace. Why? Because when we stop trying to be the solution to our problem, it busts the door open for God to come in and say, no. See, you was trying to put him in check. If you just be quiet, I check him. And he a godly man, so when I check him, he going to listen. You was trying to put her in check. She a godly woman. I got her. You be quiet because I'm going to deal with the real. See, you going to keep talking about the stuff that's making you mad, but I'm going to talk about the stuff that's making her do the stuff that's making you mad. But if you keep talking... I can't talk to her because she's too busy arguing with you to listen to me. And so what I've learned in marriage is that sometimes shut up. And have a wife that don't mind telling you to shut up. <laughs> Stop talking. I'm, my wife would tell me in a heartbeat, I'm done with this conversation. <laughs> and I'll be mad because I'll be like, she's right. So I send another message, but I save it in a draft. Just in case the argument get heated again, I press in. That's what I was going to send you. <laughs> but James says to submit to God. Now, pay attention, though, because James just doesn't say he gives greater grace. So be humble, uh, but uh, 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 he, he gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. Right after that, it said, put that back up. So submit, 
Therefore, submit to God. Hold on, wait a minute. He gives grace. He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So how do I get the grace? What is the sign of humility? Submit. The humble person is a person who goes to God and submits to him. Here's how it works. The prideful person goes to God like this, or God comes to them, and he says, don't you go over there. The prideful person who's allowed the world to convince them that maturity is like independence and immaturity is dependence. The prideful person says to God, I'm good, I got this, I can handle that. The Holy Spirit is saying, don't do that. That's a trap. You're going to go over there. You're going to fall. Your whole life going to be jacked up. And the prideful person is like, man, I've, I've been reading. I've been praying. I'm good, God. I can handle it. That's the prideful person. And so to the prideful person, God said don't go. They didn't submit, so they went. And then they fall. And then they say, I stumbled. No, you didn't stumble. You was arrogant. If you would have submitted, you'd have never even been in that situation to even fall. The humble person who recognizes that I'm never strong enough. When God says don't go, it don't matter if I think I'm good. They say, probably shouldn't go. Why not? Because God's a little bit smarter than me. He know for real, for real that I'm about to go. He know what's up. But the prideful person thinks we are smarter than God. And so God is trying to keep us out of trouble. And then we think in our, because we've been in church for however long, and we've been reading for however long, we like, man, I'm cool. That ain't even my struggle. I can handle that, God. And God is like, no, you can't. You can handle what I grace you to handle. And what I'm telling you is you can't go over there. You can't go over there. But the prideful person thinks they are strong. The humble person says, I'm going to submit to what the Spirit said to me. Pay attention, guys. Being humble is about acknowledging our weakness to the point of surrender to the Spirit. And listen to me. If you don't, I don't know how much y'all ever listen to me, but if you don't listen to nothing else I say, add this to the top 20. <laughs> add this to the top 20. Running around trying to show your maturity through independence is just a greater sign of immaturity. You do not have to try to convince. Listen, I do not need to know that you can go sit in sinful places and not fall for me to think you mature. I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking when you do that. They're immature. They need more discipleship. You do not have to try to show your strength in stupidity. Show your strength in humility. You don't have to do stupid things to try to prove, I walk with the Lord. I got this. No, that's stupid. Let's just call it what it is. That's dumb. Right? If you, I want to see your strength by you being mature enough to be like, I ain't even playing with that. That's when I'm looking at somebody that's like, this person has matured. They have matured to the place of understanding that they within themselves would do everything they say they won't do. And that's what Paul has already taught us. Last two weeks ago we talked, he says, I, it is not even I who am doing it. I know not what I do. For that which I desire to do, I do not do. But that which I don't want to do, I find myself doing. So Paul, the super Christian, everybody reads Paul that's a super Christian. That's why I'm glad Paul said this. I'm glad Peter didn't write this part. We'd be like, well, Peter's been messed up. Like, Peter's been doing jacked up stuff all throughout the scripture. So of course he's struggling. <laughs> but we all look at Paul like, that's Paul, Paul. You know what I'm saying? So Paul is like, yeah, guys, even me. Right? 
And he's saying, listen, I am not stronger because the things that I don't even want to do are the things that I'll find myself doing. I don't even desire to do that. What in, how in the world did I wake up here? How in the world did I end up in this place? I didn't even, this was not where I was going. But the way that, and the reason we end up in these places, because when that spirit said to you, sit down, you said, I got this. And, and I'm not even talking about the person with the desire to intentionally sin. I'm just talking about the person that really think they, they so prideful, that they think, no, God, I'm really not, I'm not about to go over there and do that. And God is like, I, I just think it's best if you just don't even go over there. The only way to ensure that you're never going to go over there and do it is if you never go over there. That's the only safeguard. Don't ever do it. Don't even go over there. But we all have had these prideful and arrogant moments, right? We've all had these places where we just believe we are so strong. But Romans chapter 7, it just crushes all of that. And what it teaches us is that it is impossible in our own strength to walk this walk of obedience. Our own strength is not enough to walk and live a life conformed to the image of Jesus. That's the humble rub. That if we desire to grow and walk in victory over sin, it will require us to rid ourselves of the pride of independence and to clothe ourselves with the humility of dependence. Because Romans 7 presents the helpless and hopeless dilemma. That while we desire to walk with Christ in obedience, we don't always do it. And so Paul says this, so I discovered this law. When I want to do what is evil, I mean what is good, evil is present with me. That's the eternal war. Eternal. Internal war. Right? And, and, and Paul is magnifying that problem. And he's magnifying the problem, and then he concludes, what a wretched man that I am. Who's going to save me from this body? Who's going to save me from, from this thing that is opposing God that lives with me? This sinful nature that interferes with my desire to obey God. Who, if it doesn't, if it's not eradicated, who's going to save me from it? Because it desires to oppose God and I desire to please God. Who is going to save me from this problem that is with me every day I wake up? In other words, he humbles himself and admits a need based on becoming mature enough to understand that he's not strong enough within himself. This is the war between the flesh and the spirit, and it can't be won on our, okay, if, how can it be won in our own strength? Just think about it. How can you have two desires existing within you and think that you're strong enough to win? You, you already lost. You got two desires. You confused already. So how in the world do we then think in our own strength we're going to fix this problem? The problem exists in us. We are the problem. So how can we fix our own problem? I'm going to jump ahead real quick, but I'm going to slow it down because I want to say this. I want to say this. I thought I want to say this. Look, check this out. Although we are saved from the penalty and power of sin and salvation, we are not saved from the presence of sin until Christ returns. <laughs> and this is why this is important. Because... We would love to believe that in coming to Christ, freedom means deliverance from it. But that's not what freedom means. All freedom means is that I'm free from its power. <coughs> freedom says not that sin is eradicated from my life, 
but that is powerless in my life. Freedom says it going to try. You don't have to obey. But the rub of freedom is that it leaves us with a choice. The responsibility of freedom is that now I don't got an excuse for the decisions that I make. The responsibility of freedom says, yeah, sin did tempt me, but it couldn't make me do it because I'm free from it because I died with Christ, which means when I did it, I did it. That's the responsibility and the accountability of freedom. And we like, God, why couldn't you just make us free and get rid of sin? Because that's just not how it works. Salvation frees us from the penalty and the power of sin. But until Christ returns, we'll never be free from the presence of it. However, what he gave us was a new nature, the spirit. He regenerated us. He quickened. He made us alive. So even in his presence, we have power over it. But now we have to make a decision to say, who do we want to submit to? Will Somebody say, how do I help to submit to God? There is no 12-step program for this. There ain't no AA classes you can go to. There ain't no workbooks. There's no 20 books. You can read whatever you want. Submission to God looks like this. God said it. I did it. How do you do that? You do it. I done wrecked my brain trying to help people understand how to do it. And no matter what, after anybody that talked to me, they've had 30 to 40 minute conversations with me. We always end the conversation in the same place. Yeah, me, you gonna have to just, you have to just do it. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how else to tell you to submit other than you do it. <laughs> that is the 12 step plan. You do it, you do it, you do it. Nike, just do it. But until Christ comes back, we're going to forever be in this conflict. We're going to forever be in this dilemma. We're going to forever be in this place where God wants me to do something. My spirit doesn't want me to do something. The spirit, I mean, uh, my spirit wants me to do something. The flesh doesn't want me to do something. The spirit says forgive them or flesh says hurt them. Our spirit says sacrifice or flesh says you desire alone time. Our spirit says you need community. Our flesh says I'm an introvert. I need me. Right? And that's just the light stuff. See, sometimes I don't want to talk about, we can talk about my spirit says don't go over there, but my body says I want to. But we know, that, we know about that conflict, but we don't even think about these conflicts. This, this community verse being alone, that's the conflict because the spirit is never calling you to isolation. Outside of for a season to come back. So those who choose to stay in isolation, that's just a war between the spirit and the flesh. At some point, God told you to go get community, you just keep saying no. Right? There's some lighter things that we need to start applying to this flesh versus spirit conversation because they exist. We just don't talk about them. They slide under the radar. But a lot of us are losing this battle to things that are not obvious. But here's what I want us to understand in order to understand why humility is needed to walk in victory. Notice that Paul calls this a law. He says, hmm. he says I discover another law. In other words, he's not talking about like another, some laws on a tablet, another mosaic law. He's using a generic term. He's talking about a principle. I've discovered another definite principle. So understand something. He is saying this isn't a law. This is a definite principle. That means no matter what, when there is good present with you, evil is also present. Why? Because you're, you live in the flesh. 
So the definite principle is that nobody can escape this reality. That as believers, I am going to always be moving in life with two desires coexisting. Right? <laughs> so if it's a definite law, think about it like this. Why we need humility. Uh, let's talk about gravity. Everybody know the law of gravity? Definite law. Right? What goes up? Coming down. Right? Now, <laughs> scientists could say, I think we could defy this law. And just start splatting all day long. Jumping off building splat. Jumping off building splat. Jump over there, I mean. But you get what I'm trying to say? The reality is, you can't fly on your own strength. Why? Because the law says what goes up must come down, and it's a definite principle. Okay? So what did scientists say? They said, okay, listen, we can keep being prideful and try this thing, or since we can't change the law, we can enter another element to defy the law. And so they build things like planes and spaceships and all of that stuff. Now, this isn't a, a, a direct correlation because eventually some things got to come down too. <laughs> eventually they won't run out of jet fuel, right? <laughs> but the reality is in order to even have that level of ability to fly, they had to stop trying to, to, to defy it on their own strength and enter something else, a plane. So if Paul says that I find another law, a definite principle, that when I desire to do good, evil is present with me, we can keep trying to defy the law, or we can come to the conclusion that we can't change this, so we need to enter another element. We need to enter something else that has the ability to overcome the law, right? And for us, it's not planes, it's the Holy Spirit. We cannot change the fact that evil will be present with us. But what we can do is stop trying to beat the law and lean on the Holy Spirit who has power over the law. That is what we do. And when we are humble, when we are humble, we submit to its power. And so it's no longer our strength. But we've looked at this law and said, that's a crazy law. But I got the Holy Spirit. And this is why Paul starts his whole chapter off saying, you are dead to the things pertaining to the law. That pertaining word is very important. Because everything he said after that is what he's talking about. We are dead in Christ to the things that are pertaining to the law that I'm helpless over sin that is present in my life, causing me to do whatever it is that I want to do. You're dead to that principle. Why are you dead to that principle? Because you have the Holy Spirit. And because you have the Holy Spirit, you have a power over that principle. You may walk with the ability and the distinction or the desire to do evil all the time, but now you no longer have to obey it because I've given you another strength. The question is, will we use that strength? Our strength is to submit to the and humility and say, God, whatever you say is the best outcome, I'm going to submit to that. And many believers who desire to grow are not, again, intentionally sinning all the time. There's, there's quite a few that are. But a lot of us are just up against pride and arrogance. A lot of us are just up against we think we got it. Right? But Romans 7 is teaching us. That we cannot follow God in our heart. Listen, now, listen. Y'all know what the new covenant is? The whole new covenant is because God, in his infinite wisdom, came to the conclusion, these yogas will not follow me on their own. I got to give them a spirit and cause them. <coughs> That's the new covenant. I got to give them the spirit and cause them 
to obey my command. Because they're not doing it on their own. I need to give them a helper. So God, in his infinite wisdom, looked at people and said, you can't do this on your own. Then we look back at God and say, yes, I can. That's what we do. God, you said I can't do it on my own. I can. I know you came and died, Jesus, to help me and do all of that, but I'm good. I got this. Making Christ's sacrifice in vain. This is why Hebrews is telling us that it makes his sacrifice in vain when we put back on the elementary things that came off. And when we go back to those things of the old, back to pitching tents in the dang on desert somewhere, talking about we celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, back to slaughtering lambs, talking about we celebrating the Passover, when we go back to all of that, we're saying, <laughs> that was not good enough. We need another helper. Because a lot of y'all have never paid attention that when God gave the laws, in Deuteronomy, Moses said this to the Israelites. He said, I mean, the Israelites said this to Moses when it came to obeying the law. They said, it will be our righteousness. They said, it will be our, we will obey and it will be our righteousness. Right? But in order to be saved, we need whose righteousness? Because our righteousness don't do nothing. Trying to do the law on our own is us trying to do it in our righteousness. And in our righteousness, our own strength, we continue to fall on our faces. Be humble. All right, 13. Okay, let's go. A biblical definition of evil, I want you to pay attention to this, that a biblical definition of evil is anything that is opposed to the law of God. All right? I want you to pay attention. Note, Paul said that when he wants to do good, uh, that means, and he's defined good as obeying God, that evil is present with him. And, And evil is what he calls the things that are opposing his desire to obey God. And this is important because Isaiah 520 says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Right. And so what we should understand is that the standard is not self, but the word of God, that the, the, the standard of what is good and evil is not self, but the word of God. And what Paul is saying is when I want to do good, evil is present with me. When I want to follow God, evil is present with me. Well, how do I know what is evil? Because anything that opposes what God says is evil. I don't care what we call it. We can diagnose it, whatever you want to do. Anything that opposes what God says, the diagnosis is evil. Period. And my, my, y'all, I, y'all know I love us, but let's just call it what it is. It's evil. Okay? Now, how that manifests itself is how it manifests itself. But the diagnosis, evil. Because it opposes what God says. And God calls that which opposes him evil. Right? If evil will always oppose the determined good of God, then anytime God says to do or to not do something, anything that promotes the opposite reveals itself to be evil. If you're trying to identify what's evil in this world, find out what God said and look at anything that's trying to oppose it. Evil. Do I need to get controversial or y'all got it? Y'all got it? Okay. All right. Y'all got it. But the problem is that the world has convinced us that what God has called good is evil, and what the world says is evil is good is good. But what the world says is good is evil. Why? Because it's opposing what God says. Period. 
And that lies another realm of the law and why we have to understand why we need humility. Because we have an internal conflict. Our flesh and our spirit are waging war against each other. Then we go out into the world and then we have an external conflict. Now our, the, our biblical worldview is being opposed by a cultural worldview. And we live in that. So now I got my biblical self living in a cultural world and now I got a whole other conflict on my hand. I'm, I'm, I wake up sitting in my bedroom confused. I go out into the world confused. I'm just a walking conflict confused. But think I can figure this out on my own. Everything is against us walking with God. Every TV show, all the music that we like and say, it's just music. No, it's not. It opposes God. Okay, I, let's, 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 let's do it like this. Don't kill people. Music. I'll bust you in the face, shoot you in the head. And we'd be like, man, that's, it's just words. No, 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 no. It's opposing what God said. Evil. I don't care how black conscious it is. Kendrick, evil. All the believers posting Kendrick's album, and I like them too, but it's evil. If we're going to let God define evil. Now, if you want to continue to redefine evil, you go for it, and you'll continue to find yourself synchronizing with the world's values. Can't. The Bible says God creates gender. Culture says you determine gender. So what happens is the spirit says believe God. The flesh says be accepted by the world. Now, if you don't want to be an outcast in the world, we got a conflict. Mm, do I say, well, you know, it's complicated and agree with the world, or do I say, no, nah, it's just evil. It's just evil. Redefine the gender, just evil. Period. Why? Because God said this is what it is. Right? Now, sorry, it's a little controversial, but it's the Bible. Argue with God. Tell God that it's not evil. Because that's what we're saying. We say to God, no, 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 you got it wrong, God. They're right, you're evil. Because understand something. If evil opposes good, and culture is saying do something, and you're saying it's good, and God is opposing it, you're saying God's ways is evil. That's just logic. We don't want to follow conclusions all the way through, but that's what we're saying when we agree with culture over God. They're good. You're opposing their good, which means the principle is you're evil. And then the enemy, well, I'll skip that. Okay, so we got this dilemma. And it builds an even bigger case for why we must be humble. But I also want us to understand this. Desire is a part of obedience, but desire is not enough. Desire is a part of obedience, but desire is not enough. Notice that I'm not saying desire is not needed, because the scriptures tell us that, that all the time things like be fully convinced. Or even Paul says in Romans 6.11, to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, so the Bible is constantly telling us. That we have to make up our mind. We have to have a desire, right? It's okay to have desire. But desires is cool, but it's not enough. Right? Because Paul says in Romans 7, and 23, For in my inner self, I delight in God's law. I desire God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Paul says that his inner self delights in God's law. But Paul already said that his desires, he don't even do. And so that means that it can't be that desire is enough on its own. Because we can desire all day long and wake up asking ourselves, 
how did I get here? I didn't even want to be here. I wanted to obey God. I wanted to follow God because desire by itself is not enough for us to obey. The inner self refers to the new man in Christ, been renewed by the image of God, right? So we got this new nature, right? And, the, and that new nature desires the things of God. The spirit desires the things of God. But then we got our flesh, and the flesh ain't with nowhere. And the flesh is like, that's cool. You want to do what God say? I don't want to do what God say. So you can desire all you want, but I'm going to challenge your desires. I'm going to give you a different desire because I also know that your flesh got a desire. So now you got a desire. Your flesh got a desire. Sin says, I'm going to get on your flesh. Then you think you got it on your own. And then you get weak because the, the, the sin just keeps attacking your flesh, and then you grow weary and resistant, and then eventually you give in to the flesh's desires because desires aren't enough, right? So if desires aren't enough, what do I need? Well, I need something else. I need humility. It can't be just about me. I'm just, I'm just building a case for why the scriptures is telling us we have to be humble. We got an internal conflict. We got an external conflict. We got a, my desires ain't even good enough. Right? We can tell people all day long, you got to make up your mind you want to do it. You got to make up your mind you want to do it. That's fine. You can make up your mind all day long. Your made up mind is going to ag- come against the enemy's made up mind to get you to fall. And the only way that its made up mind is not going to win over your made up mind is you're going to have to give your made up mind to something stronger than you that has the ability to tell its made up mind no. Guess what that is? Say it louder. Oh, y'all don't know. Okay, it's the Holy Spirit. Okay, there we go. If you don't know, you're not going to submit. Becoming a believer doesn't give the flesh a new desire. It just gives us new desires and power over the flesh's desires. Because let's just be real. The flesh want to smack any person that talk crazy to it. Now, you can be holy all you want. It's not, it's not you're lying. Like if, you, like, like, if you know you can beat up people, you want to. Anytime they do something crazy, you're like, I'm about to beat you up. <laughs> right? I'm just being honest. And the spirit be like, no, forgiveness, love, walk away. Right? But you, but you, in, your, and you in your head, like, I can hurt you. And you talking crazy. Like, I can't. And you know you can't. Because I'm a Christian. You trying me. And the flesh be like, don't let it try you. And the spirit be like, don't listen to the flesh. And then your flesh be like, but people watching. And the spirit be like, let them watch. And the flesh be like, but if you let this one get off, another one going to try you. Check this one, and they all leave you alone. Put this one in your place just to show them, I ain't no doormat. Right? So then you so busy trying to stop people from walking all over you, you ain't even in the spirit no more. You just ungodly. Because people are going to keep trying to walk all over you. So at some point, when are you going to stop saying, I'm going to have to just teach people that you can't? Sometimes you're just going to have to be like, you know what? You have to just get that one off. I'm going to have to walk in the spirit in this one. I'm going to have to turn the other cheek. I'm going to have to walk away. I'm going to have to love. And even right now, people sitting here like the flesh, like, you going to listen to him? <laughs> right now, y'all in your head like, see, that's that Christian talk right there, right? They making us suckers, man. I'm going to go to Hebrew Israelites. At least they tell me I can beat people up. That Christianity stuff weak. That's what the flesh be telling you. I'm just being honest. They do. They be like, they were, okay. Anyway. Anyway. 
But how can a person who desires two things resisting each other possibly think they can do it on their own? Paul understands this. He can't do it on his own. He understands this dilemma requires more than desire, more than his own strength. We know this because the question that he asks in Romans 7, 24 is, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? A man who thinks that he got it on his own is not going to take this type of cry of despair. This is a cry of despair from a man who's come to the end of himself who's come to the wisdom and knowledge that he can't do. The great apostle Paul, who has come to the end of himself saying, I cannot do this on my own. And he cries out, what a wretched, and, and this word, it has a few different meanings. It's, it's technically only used twice, technically, in the New Testament, but it, it has a few uses in, 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 in the Septuagint. But, 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 but the word just simply means most pitied. What a miserable most pit. And here's why I should be most pitied. I should be most pitied because who going to save me? And the implications of him asking who going to save me shows you that he must be most pitied because unless somebody else comes saves him, he can't save himself. He's most pitied because who's going to save me? Right? Because I'm trying myself. And this is like a person looking at another person. And they're looking at him like, look at this miserable, pity person just steady trying to get out the hole and can't get out. And you looking at them like, sis, you need help. I, you gonna be, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, y'all that work on, if you ever worked in a factory, you work on the line, quotas and stuff like that, and somebody you don't really like like that, right? But you get your work done, and you looking at them like, you not about to make it. Like, you just looking out, I feel bad for them. And they said they find the next person that don't make quotas. You sitting there like, you just pitying them like, you need help. You cannot. They busting sweats. They working as hard as they can. And you looking like, it don't matter what you do, you not about to meet this quota. And you busting butt, Right? And we didn't been in those spots. I don't know if you ever worked in those type of place. And the manager come up to you, and the manager talking. You, you now I am doing. I am. I am sweating. I ain't sat down all day. You tell him I can't. It's too high. Lower it. <laughs> <coughs> then you get mad. You do it. Let me show me you can do it. You do it first. Let me see how you do it. <laughs> I was that way. I was a Christian too. They used to get, listen, they used to give us 56 rolls a night, and I worked 12-hour shifts. I finished them in eight hours going to break room for the last four. Everybody complained. My manager, but my manager was cool, cool little young black dude, like to hit the club. So he'll come in from the club on the weekend. He'll walk in, Tank, what you in here doing? I'd be like, here you go, boss, all 56, and I gave you two extra. He'd be like, oh, you cool, chill. <laughs> and I go out there, and I'm looking at them, watching TV on my phone, like, y'all getting in trouble in the morning, because y'all is not going to make it. Right? I have a lot of friends at that job. Um... But that's that cry of despair, right? It's looking at somebody and you're saying, no matter how hard they try, they can't help themselves. And Paul is saying, I am wretched. I am pity. I can't. Who is going to save me? Because I can't save myself. A cry of despair is tied to the revelation of self-helplessness. And so let's talk about conflict there. Because everything in culture is telling us what? That you can do whatever you put your mind to. But the Bible says even if your mind is focused on Christ, that person still won't do it. And so culture is telling you to do something that's just not quite true, right? Okay, self-help books can't help sanctify you. Everything has its place, but in sanctification, they can't help you. Anything that helps you how to do self ain't going to help you be sanctified because sanctification happens outside of you. Right? John, remember, sanctify them in your truth. The word is true. The word of God never teaches us. Never teaches us to depend on ourselves to grow. You won't find a scripture that where the word of God is teaching you to depend on you to grow. 
The word actually gives us all of the examples of everybody who failed trying to. Right? And this is why it bothers me. Start rant here. This is why it bothers me. When Christians want to have book clubs around everything else but the Bible. Right? And I'm not saying that we don't need these other books. Okay? And the combination, without exaggeration, between research books, commentaries, regular Bible books, whatever else. No, without exaggeration, my library is over 6,000 books. I'm not against books. But I am against when you supplement with books and don't know what the book says. Right? I have a problem when every time a question about God is asked, what you say is, well, such and such said in their book. Instead of what Romans chapter 5 verse 13 says. Because what it tells me is you know more about people's opinions of the word than you've set with the word. Supplements are only good if you first have the main dish. That's vegetables too. <laughs> no, man, I'm just playing. Oh, sometimes. And rant. Read the Bible. <laughs> I'm just being honest. That's a problem for me. And I pay attention to it. And I listen to people talk. And I'm not saying, I listen to a lot of people talk. And I'm, all, and I'm listening. I'm just like, I have no clue what the Bible says about this. All you know is what an author said about this. No clue what the Bible says about this. No. And I listen. And, but, but you can't. But then, you, then it's. It's legalistic when you try to get them to, like, read the Bible. Oh, you're being legalistic. The pro- you don't even, okay. L- read City Church. Help. Listen, please, just, just, do, just love me enough to, like, have the Bible with your book. Just, like, take them both to the group. <laughs> like, 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 just love me enough to say I'm going to be committed to seeing what God says and I told you guys three weeks ago, because if, 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 if I read them first, then they begin to inform how, I, and then I, so if I read the book first, then scripture, the book informs how I understand scripture. But if I read scripture first, then the book, scripture informs how I understand the book. So when the book starts talking crazy, you're going to be like, what? Why are you crazy? <laughs> so I put a lot of books down after I start them. I'll be like, yeah, here we go, another one. Anybody want a book? Well, that's my, I, some stuff be cool. I just don't like them. I got to go. Oh, I pressed pause. Okay. Be over time. All right. <laughs> if Paul thought the conclusion of the matter is more self-strength, he wouldn't be crying out, what a wretched man I am. The cry of a wretched is a cry of the most fitty condition, right? Wretched, not to be confused with ratchet, is a despair cry, right? A cry of desperation of help. So it doesn't sound like a man who wants you to read the Bible and read his letters and think that discipline and obedience is enough to muster up enough strength to walk as Jesus did. This sounds like a man who wants us to understand that the internal and external conflicts that we struggle with, we are helpless against alone. Right? And it's at this point that we can either fight or flight. And a lot of people fight. A lot of people say, you know what, I ain't, I, I, that's too hard. And you're right, it is too hard. But, but, but the fight... It's not, the, it's not a pro- the fight isn't the problem, guys. We think the fact that we have to fight every day, that's the problem. A fight is not a problem to somebody who knows how to fight. 
A fight is only a problem to somebody. Did, y'all, did you see what Javante Davis did to that boy? And he told him in the interview, he, ain't, he don't fight awkward. He just can't fight. <laughs> Javante said, I ain't worried. He, he, like, I'm using his, this is real word. He said, he said he fight like somebody who just got in the gym, and they learned a couple things. And so people was like, they, he, he not awkward. He just don't know how to fight. And then he went in the ring. And did you see? Okay, just watch it. It's quick. Watch it. But a fight is only a problem to somebody who don't know what to do. A trained person, you ever just see somebody that's trained in fight? It don't matter how crazy you talk, they are so calm. Because in their head, they like, whatever you want to do, bro. <laughs> I am not worried about nothing you talking about right now. You rah, 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 you taking your shirt off, you bouncing around, doing that, whatever you want to do. As long as if, if you come here, that's where the problem begins. Over there, do whatever you want to do. Take your shirt off, whatever, right? And the same is true of our Christian walk. The fight is only a problem to us as believers who don't know how to fight. But when we learn how to fight and realize that the self-effort is why we're losing, and we learn that if we just become dependent on the Spirit, that we'll win this fight, then we're not worried about the fight. We wake up every day saying, I'm determined to submit. I know the enemy is going to attack me, but I'm determined to submit. And I'm going to continue to submit to whatever God says every which way. How do you do that, Tank? You just submit, right? Um... That person is not worried about the fight. We know it's coming. We know it's going to be a problem, guys. But just learn to be humble. Who can save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord then. With my mind and myself, I'm serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. And so Paul says the solution to our dilemma is already present with us. He's a believer saying thanks be to God. The, the, The solution to our dilemma is already present with us. He's not trying to tell us the solution is coming. He's saying, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus. Well, you're a believer, which means you have Christ Jesus, which means you're not waiting on a solution to your problem. The solution to your problem is in you. The problem is not I don't have what I need to win. The problem is I'm not submitting to the power that is in me to have victory. As believers, the question is not, will God send a solution? The question is, will we humble ourselves to submit to the solution? So as we close, I want to know, who is willing to cry out like Paul, desiring to be free from the life that is dominated by sin? Who is willing to cry out in humility and submission? To say, I am tired of trying to win a war in my flesh and in my own strength. But I'm ready to surrender. And what I love about how Paul ends this, as he said, and so, in my mind, I'm serving God, but in my flesh, I'm serving sin. And so what Paul is saying is that we're serving one or two things. And if I'm ever interested in my life around what is it that I'm serving, look at what it is that I'm doing. Which part of me is the one that is operating and driving the car? Well, if I'm obedient to God, then the one steering the car is the spirit. But when I'm disobedient to God, then the one steering the car is my flesh. Because there's two things. I serve the flesh in sin with my flesh, but I serve God and his law with my mind. And so the one driving the car is determined by the thing that I'm doing.
And if we want to be people who stop letting the car just drive down the road recklessly, then we have to learn to be a people who will be humble enough to say, God, I desire to follow you, but I am trash. I can't do it. I suck at doing it. I want to do it, but I'm, I'm trash. And if you don't help me, I will never be able to live out the commands of what you're calling me. I will never produce the sanctification. I will never be, be transformed and confirmed into the image in which I can't do this. And I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of being beat up by myself. I need you to help me. And so I want to be humble. And I want to come to you in humility and submit to you. It don't matter if you're doing what I, what I don't want to do. If you say to do it, I'm going to do it. Trusting and believing that you have the best outcome for my life. And some of you, I'm going to be honest. I don't do this often, but I'm going to be honest. Let me get a, uh, I don't need it. Um, there's a climate, climate happening right now. This, this in-house business. There's a climate happening right now. And I'm hearing a lot of things, guys. And listen, you guys are, you guys have victory, and y'all need to begin to humble yourselves so that you can overcome this thing. That thing, those things do not control you. And I love you. I wake up with no other desire in my life but to see you grow. I wake up with no other desire in my life but to hear you walking in victory. And we're going to constantly have to come against the enemy. The enemy's going to come against you in your personal life. He's going to come against you in your career life. He's going to come against you in your church life. But if we don't start humbling ourselves, and not allowing that thing to run us and rule us and control us. Get into discipleship. Get into your word. Get into some accountability groups. Be honest with yourself and God. So that you can have victory over that thing because you want it anyway. The beauty of what I love about the, the people that reach, and, and, I, and I'm not disconnected. I know everything that all of y'all are doing, thinking, and saying. I'm very connected. Whether I, I'm, watch, I'm a very watchful person. And a very nosy person, too. Y'all know that. <laughs> Always in y'all business. But the thing I love about y'all is there is really a desire for holiness from the people here. And so, that, but that desire is not enough, guys. It is time for us to take our desire and submit it at the feet of Jesus. That he can aid us and help us to become and walk in the thing that we said we want to walk in. And so I'm going to open the altar right now.